Welcome back, everyone, to episode five of Infield Dirt. Um, my name is Casey Honigbaum. I'm alongside my good friend, Matt Chase. We're going to be giving you um, an inside scoop, obviously, everything that's not an inside scoop because we're not on the inside. So it's an outside scoop of everything that's going on in Major League Baseball right now. Pitchers and catchers have reported to spring training. Um, position players just reported today, yesterday. Um, most guys have been there, but um, we're getting into the swing of things. Spring training games start next week. Exciting time in baseball. Um, let's get the bad stuff out of the way first. Um, can't go without saying that the Marlins CEO and president is kind of a kind of a piece, um, for lack of a better word. Um, it's an interesting story. We were literally just talking about this before we hopped on, but basically for those of you that don't know yet, he, what is this guy's name again too? I got to look this up now. This I'm very unprepared here. Uh, um, the Mariner CEO, it was, uh, John, where is it? Kevin, Kevin Mather. Kevin um, Mather. and yeah, so he made some statements in a uh, – it was like a 45-minute uh, like Zoom meeting type thing and uh, obviously said some stuff about uh, players and their English not being great and how he didn't feel like paying interpreters. I'm paraphrasing, but um, kind, of a, kind of a shitty situation. What do you think? Yeah, I mean, definitely, definitely a shitty thing um, to have happen. If you're a player in the Seattle Mariners organization, yeah. I, I just, I, I would be very um, disturbed by the comments. Uh, he said a lot of, a lot of shitty things. You know, yeah. the um, interpreter one and talking about Julio Rodriguez not speaking English very well, which is, which is quite shitty. Um, yeah. It's just, it's overall, it's a, it's a bad look for baseball. It's a bad look for the Mariners. Um, it's one of those things I was talking about this earlier where I think a lot of executives in baseball, he, this is more of, he said, he spoke along the terms of um, the years of control for a player, the service time, how they mm-hmm. manipulate it. I think some of the things he talked about, I think a lot of CEOs and people in baseball think they just don't say it. And it's just a bad situation to have it recorded yeah. and have it come out to the public. I, yeah, I agree. I think it's one of the things that you have to look at when there, when a situation like this comes up is how, com- how comfortable are the players now in this organization, especially the ones that he spoke about, like Julio Rodriguez and Jared Kelnick. And um, I mean, like, you know, reading some, I don't want to give him too much airtime, but you know, one of the things he said about Julio Rodriguez was, you know, this is a guy who's from the Dominican Republic. He's only 20 years old. Someone who's signed by the team when he's 16, he's got to come, comes over to America to start playing baseball. Um, you know, he said when he, when he was asked about him, he said, he's loud. His English is not tremendous. That's what you have to say about that. Yeah. Your best, and, one of your best prospects. I, I mean, mean, come on, you gotta be better than that. He's, yeah. He's a 20-year-old kid who's just come over to America. He's playing professional baseball for you. Um, obviously, there's culture shock. Yeah. I mean, what do you expect from the kid? He's, you know, you expect him to come over and speak English perfectly. If anything, yeah. they should be trying to help him learn English the best they can and help him fit in with the culture. Because, uh, you know, the culture shock and just 
in general, saying that about your player is just totally out of line. Yeah, absolutely. And it, and it's also when you look at, um, when you were talking about the service time thing, um, you know, obviously all the stuff with the, uh, his comments about the English speaking and all of that, that goes without saying that, that that's a, either a fireable, a fireable, excuse me, offense or something where he should definitely resign, which he did, um, thankfully. But um, I think we've talked about this a little bit or hinted at it, but the service time is the rule. That's a problem with Major League Baseball. It's bogus. And he basically – now, I don't think that it's a fireable offense or, you know, you can get pissed off at him for it. But, you know, basically what he said about Kelnick, so they offered him a six-year contract – um, over in the, during the off season, which is, uh, you talked about this a couple episodes ago, like where you've seen guys doing this with their minor league players to try and lock them up. And, and Kelnick turned it down. He decided to bet on himself, which a guy like him makes sense. Um, he's probably, he's one of those guys where, you know, you're going to see him most likely if he stays true to his projections is going to get a good contract. But, um, you know, because he turned it down, now Jeff Mathers says, well, he's definitely going to start 2021 in the minor leagues and they're not going to bring him up till mid-April because that's the rule, which it's know, just, obviously it, it, it sucks. Well, it sucks for everybody involved. It sucks for the players, the fans, the team. Um, the biggest example I can think of is Chris Bryant Yep, back uh, a few years ago when he came up. It's, it's ridiculous. Baseball needs to fix this. They need to get rid of this problem. It's a problem that everybody in baseball is known about. And people, teams manipulate service time all the time with top prospects. It's ridiculous. It needs to go away. The fact that he, the clinic's not going to be called up to the big leagues till mid-April or May because of service time is ridiculous. And if yeah. I'm a Mariners fan, you know how can I look at this team and say that they're giving themselves the best chance to be a winning team this year if one of their top prospects clinics in the minor leagues simply because of service time right yeah you know, as a fan it's just it's annoying i agree and that kind of it, that part of it the i and and i totally understand the frustration with those comments because i totally agree about the service time and and everything like that i think it's a bogus rule but i but it was kind of weird and i'm remembering this and i could be remembering this wrong but i remember when this happened with chris bryant wasn't Theo Epstein kind of praised for that? Yeah, well, he was because, I mean, it's also at that point, the Cubs, well, the Mariners have been bad for a while, but the Cubs have been bad and they've been rebuilding for so long. Yeah. That I think most of their fans were okay with it because they wanted that extra year with Brian. Yeah, that makes sense. Right. And it makes sense, you know, but it, it shouldn't even be like, I, I just think as a baseball fan and in general, it shouldn't even be an option. It doesn't make any sense. It's, it's just right. not good for, you know, either side. Yeah. Um, but, you know, yeah. it is what it is. They haven't changed the rule on it yet, so. Right. I, I think that'll my, – my thought process is I think with service time, I think service time should start the minute you're added to the 40-man roster. Yeah, I, I, that's fine. You know, that would, that would work I think it should be something like that, and that's, that might be a little bit um, out of the box, but what, that, that's, well, that's my thought. Whatever they do – I don't really care what they change it to. I just need them to get rid of the fact that you can't, like if you get called up on like May 6th or whatever it is, Mm -hmm. the year doesn't count. But if you start the day on, if you start an opening day, it counts. Like 
I, I just, they need to get rid of that. It's a yeah. dumb rule. Yeah. Agreed. Yeah. It, and you know, the last thing I'll say about this is it's just, this is as somebody who's watched my own team just have just really like root itself in horrible culture with the will ponds and, and the way that we're, we're still having to work to, you know, kind of dig ourselves out of that hole. This is how bad culture takes root. Really. It, it's just, you know, and, and, and there's all this stuff like two women reported Mather to, to HR, which was the department that he oversaw at the time. And they left with settlements. I mean, that's, you know, this well, is, I, I've always thought about it like this in general, in any sport, whether it's NFL, MLB, NBA, yeah. if you have an organization that's consistently bad, yeah, there are going to be multiple issues, yeah. not only on the player side, but even in the front office in terms of why things are not going well. And culture mm-hmm. plays a huge part of it. And if yeah. you look at Seattle, they haven't made the playoffs since 2001 yeah. now. I mean, having a, having a culture like that with a guy who's in charge it, it makes sense why they struggle. You know, how can you, how can you have a guy in charge like that saying comments and, you know, the stuff that he said, he's running your organization. Basically he's a big part of it. Yeah. You know, it, it's just, you know, it, it makes sense why they've struggled for a while now. I agree. I agree. You make a really, that is a really good point. And that's kind of the best way to, to say it. I mean, it's just, you know, disrespecting guys like Kyle Seeger, you know, saying yeah. that he's, hey, the guy's brought, you know. Well, and you look at you look at the Dodgers. I know they're kind of like the, you know, the the best, I think, in terms of um, like overall organization in baseball. Absolutely. They treat their players very well. Oh, yeah. You know, they're always talking about how, you know, good their players are. And they, you know, you always hear about how well they're treated and how much they value their guys. And the culture is just phenomenal over there. You know, they're all willing to sacrifice playing time for the good of the team. So culture is a big part of, um, of winning and having a good organization. It's a good point. Yeah, it it really is. Cause, and you know, it, it's like you said, stuff like that is going to show on the field because you think about the Dodgers and I was, I was thinking about this earlier this week, but you know, the Dodgers are one of those teams where I don't remember the, I don't remember since I've been alive, I don't remember a year where the Dodgers were like, Oh, they're going to suck this year. No, it's they've been good for the past 15 years. So obviously they're, you know, and that comes from player development. It comes from scouting and all of that stuff that you don't necessarily think about on the forefront of building a great major league team. But it's, and, and, and like you said, treating your players well is, it only makes sense that that would help. On the well, field and also. you just you look at the good organizations in general. Just to finish yeah. this off, St. Louis, Atlanta, mm-hmm. um, even the Twins have had a good culture. Oakland, the teams that have success typically have a good culture and treat their players well. Yeah, and you know if you want to, and it's not just for the short term. It's if you want to build a sustainable team and franchise, then you need to treat your players really well. Yeah, yeah, it's as simple as that. It really is. Um, let's get into some, some happier news. Um, it's unfortunate that you got to talk about shit like that, but, yeah. but it, you know, it happens. So, um, now that spring training is starting, um, 
and has been going for a couple of days. Obviously, in the last episode, we talked about, too, there hasn't been a whole lot going on in the free agent market, even the trade market. Really, nothing has has happened. Um, there have been a couple of free agent signings recently, and I want to go down the list and let me know, like, you know, whether or not this moves the needle for you in any way. Um, Brett Gardner, back to the Yankees. Not a big deal. Yeah. Just a depth guy. It's a good move for them because their outfielders, Stan and Judge, will probably get hurt. And Clint Frazier is still relatively unproven, but it's right. a good depth move. I th- it kind of – well, so the thing that irked me was – I can't remember the exact quote. And I don't know if I'm if I interpreted this wrong, but didn't it seem like Aaron Boone was like, oh, Brett Gardner's a guy who's going to play every day. How Like the way that they keep disrespecting Clint Frazier. Yeah. I mean, no, I, I, like I totally agree. Frazier's gotten the chance to play. He's been, he's proven himself. I, I agree. I, Clint Frazier should clearly be there starting left fielder or right yeah. fielder, wherever you want to put him. His bat speed's phenomenal. He's young. He's got all the tools. It's he, he played well for him last year. Mm-hmm. Um, Brett Gardner, in my opinion, is obviously a fourth or fifth outfielder. He's a depth guy and yeah. he's a really good one. You know, in yeah. July, if somebody gets hurt, he, you plug him in and he can play, but um, he, he should definitely not be there starting in their starting outfield yeah i agree um kevin pilar another outfielder kevin pilar signing with the mets kind of same thing i like his bat more than brett gardner's i think he is underrated as a hitter Um, yeah he's got a little power in his bat and he's a good outfielder so it's a good move for them Mm -hmm. yeah i think so too and you know i think a lot of mets fans were um were kind of left unsatisfied with albert almora jr yeah, um, I, agree. I mean, Almora is a, he's a he's a good defensive center fielder, which is what you need. But he's he's a bench guy too. He's a fourth outfielder, and at this point, the way it's looking is that like obviously no DH, so you're going to have Brandon Nimmo in center field, and because you got to keep Brandon Nimmo, Dom Smith, and Pete Alonso in the lineup at the same time. So adding Pilar gives you a better version of Almora really to me. And like you said, his bat has been a little underrated. I think his yeah. defense, like I don't buy the fact that his defense has really gotten worse. Um, but. Well, if you just watch him play, he's yeah. still a very good outfielder. He's got a strong arm. He's yeah. um, always been good defensively. And um, he's a better hitter than Almora jr. Almora jr. Is going to be a defensive guy. Um, mm-hmm. But it, you can even use Pilar and pinch hit roles. I think he'll be a good bat off the bench. Yeah. Um, so it's a it's a good move for them, for sure. Yeah, yeah. I like it. It's just depth. It, yeah, that's all but you can never have enough good players, so why not? Yeah, for sure. Um, Trevor Rosenthal to the A's, sneaky by the sneaky A's. Sneaky good move. Sneaky yeah. good move. I really like that move because they lost Hendricks, um, so they needed yeah. a, a hard throwing reliever to go in there and close games for him. Very good move for them. Um, hope you know he's a guy who he was really good. St. Louis kind of fell off there for a little bit and he came yeah. back. So. Um, I hope he can continue to have the success he had last year with them, but uh, he's still a little bit of a question mark for me. He, I mean, when he came to in la- last season in uh, San Diego, he was dominant. He's electric. Yeah, yeah, and uh, I was—he was one of those guys. I was hoping the Mets would would pick him up too, especially with Lugo. You going see, down. I, I think it's a good thing they didn't because I could see it going bad for him in New York. Mm-hmm. Um, kind of like a Edwin Diaz type guy. Yeah, I think yeah, Oakland's yeah. a really good spot for him, even though he's a relatively well-known reliever and he's he's been very good over his career. Yeah. Um, I think going to a, a small market place where not a lot of national spotlights, good for him. 
It's interesting that the price tag that he got, $11 million. Yeah. No, he, he got a nice that deal. that much from Oakland. I wouldn't have been surprised if he got $11 million from, say, the Mets or, or a bigger market team like that. But I, I was definitely a little yeah. – um, yeah, I was I was surprised. It's you know it's a. Um, uh, I it kind of when I saw it, I was like I was like I I hadn't really expected him to go to Oakland. I had yeah. heard they were in on him, but I saw one year eleven million dollars, and I was like, all right, you know that's a, that's a good move for them. I yeah, I um I was that was well done. I was gonna say the same thing. It didn't. It almost didn't. It didn't make sense until I saw the deal. I was like, well, that's a perfect place for him to yeah. go. Um. So yeah, they've still got a pretty good bullpen out there in Oakland. Um, Taiwan Walker to the Mets, uh, two-year deal, $20 million. Um, this is another guy definitely moved the needle for me a little bit. Um, I, I like, I like this move. Um, the sixth man now in our rotation kind of depth chart that has a, a career ERA lower than Trevor Bauer. Love to see that. Um, but um, we'll talk about Trevor Bauer a little bit later. I'll save that. <laughs> Only but, a Mets uh, fan would bring that up. <laughs> I know I had to, um, Petty. But uh, yeah, no, I, I, you know, it's a good move. He'll probably be our fifth starter once Syndergaard comes back, depending on you know how he performs. You hope he can perform at, yeah. the, at the level we we want him to. But um, but yeah, but good good move. I, I like yeah. that. No, I, I agree. And um, you know, he's a relatively un like not very well-known guy, but if you look at his numbers, he's always been a good pitcher. Yeah. Um, got good stuff. He's a big dude. Um, I think it's, you know, in baseball, we've talked about this over the past episodes, having depth is key. Yeah. Especially for the Mets, they've lacked pitching depth for the past few years. So I can see him throwing um, a decent amount of innings for them this year and uh, being a, being a really good starter for them. I like him. I've always liked him though. Yeah, I think so too. And it's a good, uh, he's kind of a good, there's a discrepancy between him and the other starters, which is going to be nice in the rotation, because obviously you've got, you got DeGrom and you got Syndergaard, um, you know, guys who just blow a hundred miles an hour. And then you've got Walker who mixes in cutters and, and two seamers and uh, just a good mix of, yeah. off, of um, move with movement on his fastball and a good mix of off speed pitches. Um, I like just overall really solid pitcher. Yeah. His sinker ball has been especially, nasty the past couple of years so well and last year when he went to um he got traded to toronto mm-hmm. i was i was really upset that they didn't pitch him in the wild card series against the rays because he yeah. was um he was pitching very well for them yeah. i watched him pitch a few games against the yankees mm-hmm. and um he's he's sneaky good pitcher for yeah. sure yeah it's gonna be a good move i like it we're at number 99 for the mets so oh, gotta love it oh yeah absolutely um that's basically those are the big names uh, a lot of minor league deals for guys that you know people like like Frazier minor league deal with the pirates he'll probably end up playing with them at some point um you know you got a guy Robinson Chirinos to the Yankees this is definitely this is one that's interesting to me cuz um you know talking about Gary Sanchez and the uh, when you look at a team like the Yankees so much focus is always put on how many home runs players on the Yankees are going to hit. And Gary Sanchez is obviously one of those guys where if he has a good year, he's going to hit you close to 40 home runs, at least 30 home runs, something like that. But I think what was really exposed last year when he wasn't hitting was just you, you were forced to pay more attention to how bad his defense is. 
and just how bad of a catcher he is. And I, I kind of experienced that a little bit with like Wilson Ramos when he wasn't hitting as well as he was, you're just like, well, what, what is his purpose right now? Because most catchers, you know, you're willing to sacrifice that offense because they're so good. It's such a hard position to play, but then for the elite hitters that are catchers, you sat, you know, it's good. Vice versa. Yeah, I, yeah, I know what you're saying. But um, yeah, I, well, the thing with Gary Sanchez is when he came up, everybody was saying he's, you know, he's the next Mike Piazza. He might even be better. Dude throws everybody out. He hits homers. He's fantastic. Really, over the past three seasons, he's a very bad defensive catcher to the point where when it's a big game and it's a close game, he should be taking out simply because he cannot block or catch the baseball offensively. He strikes out way too much. Yes. He hits the ball hard when he hits it, but man, watch. I watch a lot of Yankees games. Mm -hmm. Every time they have a rally going or they got first and third and one out, he always seems double play or strikeout, Mm -hmm. whatever you just, you know, don't need to happen. He does. It's also and it's never a tough at bat either. No, it's an never. easy strikeout. You throw him a couple sliders in the dirt and he's done. Yeah. yeah. You know, it's just the most frustrating thing to watch because he he just doesn't get any better. And I get it. I mean, we all know baseball is extremely hard to play and mm-hmm. facing the big leaguers, no one's saying, you know, that it's easy. But he does the same thing every year. And at some point, if you're the Yankees, you just got to move on yeah. because you know, he's, he's not worth it with how bad he is defensively. He's really, he's not even an above average offensive player anymore either as a catcher. He's yeah. really not, there's exactly. no way he can be. Yeah. I, I, I think so too. And it's, it's, it's like, you, like I said, at the posi- at the catching position, if you're not an elite offensive threat, there's no reason to keep you around when your defense yeah. is that bad. So, yeah, so that's definitely, I think everybody feels the same way. But um, this wasn't a free agent signing, but this is definitely the most money that's been moved around uh, at any point this offseason and for a while. Uh, uh, Fernando Tatis Jr. got paid. Got paid. Yeah. Yeah. A guy he's who's only killing. 143 games in his major league career. Yeah. Nah, he's $340 million from the San Diego Padres. Um, what, what are we, what are we thinking right off the bat when you saw this deal? Well, as a, as just a dude, I mean, good for him. Like he's living everybody's dream. Not only is he loaded, he plays shortstop. He plays in San Diego. Mm-hmm. He's young, athletic, just, going to be the face of baseball. Um, great personality as a, for the game of baseball, it's a great move. Um, keep it in San Diego on the business side and the team side. I hate it. I think that he's only played 143 games. I know he's phenomenal. He's going to be a great player. One, you, he had a um, back injury his rookie year. Mm -hmm. So you have to see if he's going to stay healthy. Two, I've just never seen a 10-plus-year contract work out so far. Yeah. Whether it means the guy stays with the team the whole time and is a great player or he ends up getting traded, it just typically doesn't work out for the team or, or the player in general. Um, 
Obviously, Mike Trout's doing pretty well right now with the Angels, but he's still got a long ways to go with that contract. Yep. And also, um, it's it, you know, right now it's everybody's saying it's great for San Diego, lock him up, keep him competitive with the Dodgers. You have to think they're paying Machado three hundred million now, Tatis three hundred million, Hosmer's making a hundred million, Darvish is making a hundred million, Blake Snell's going to need to be paid. Yeah. Um, Mackenzie Gore's in the minor leagues, and if he's as good as everybody says he is, he's going to need to be paid. Um, plus they've got a bunch of dudes in the minor league system that eventually I'm assuming some of them are going to come up and be good players. So it's just like, I, I just, I hope they're not heading down a path like the angels where they have so much money invested in like four or five players that they can't afford to have a good team around them. Mm -hmm. Um, obviously they have a good team right now, but you're talking 14 years. Yeah. Um, and the how long was the Machado deal too? That was that was ten year. That's a ten year. Yeah. So basically, yeah. for the next ten to fourteen years, you've got like six hundred million dollars invested in your shortstop third baseman. Well, think about too. You've got the uh, uh, Kim, their second baseman that they signed from. Uh, <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. There's another Korea. guy. Uh, yeah, and he. Um, well, and they have um, Jay Cronenworth too. That he looks pretty good. So yeah. they're gonna have to pay him oh, at yeah. some point. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it, it's um, it, it's a lot. I think so too. I I've got a couple thoughts too on the, it's really, when you say like, I've, I think the only really, cause you, you've been seeing it a lot, these long-term deals. Um, it really started with Pujols, Pujols and then Cano. Um, Miguel Cabrera. Yeah. Right. Miguel Cabrera. When you've got these seven plus year deals and obviously the Pujols deal is just like, that's a rough one. Yeah, it's horrible. And that goes without saying. But I think the only one that's really worked out is the Max Scherzer deal. I was going to say that. Yep. It's the only – It's I mean, seven years, $210 million. He, he was worth every penny of that. Every single penny of that. Absolutely. And I, I think you're right. This is the only one of those giant, like, $200-plus deals that's really worked out. Um, and, yeah, but, but going back to Tatis – um, it's curious. Like when I saw Bryce Harper go to Philly for 13 years, when you see guys like, I understand bets wanting to be in LA for 12 years. I have no, and he's one of the best players in baseball. I, I get them wanting to lock him up. That one makes sense, but still like you got to think 14 years that like, that's unless Ah, it's hard to put this into words, but like, you got to think that there's at least one rebuild in there. You know what I mean? For sure. I mean, unless you're the Dodgers where you're just going to be 15 years of world series contenders. Yeah. They're going to go through their ups and downs. Right. And I think the Padres, the way they look right now, they are, um, they're built to be good and good for a long time, but like we're yet to really see a team other than the Dodgers or maybe the, someone like the Yankees who's like in the mix every single year. Well, um, yeah. and it's a lot has to go right in order for that to happen. Um, but it's also just, it's interesting because I mean, a 14 year deal for 340 million is so much money, obviously. I mean, he's really not making in terms of the big stars or the most AAV. He's really not making that much per yeah. year. So he, I don't know. It seems it's interesting. Well, uh, it's really the, it's cool. Yeah. You know, I, I, 
It's an interesting deal. It really, I mean, it was kind of surprising too because yeah. it came out of nowhere. You hadn't really heard any reports about it, mm-hmm. and then you just, you know, popped up to tease extension. I, I want to ask you this though. Yeah, you brought up the Dodgers, and uh, I'm going to bring up the Cardinals and the Braves too because the Braves had that great run of winning mm, the division yeah. every year. Yeah, and the Cardinals, they the way that they've done it those three organizations is yeah. instead of giving out massive contracts, they just kind of, they, they stick to the same process of they develop players, they bring them to the big leagues. And then, you know, they have a next wave come through basically. Yeah. So they're always replacing the guys and the yeah. Cardinals, you know, they with pools, they, they looked at it as we're not going to give them that contract because we can't be held down by him. Yeah. You know, if we're going to be able to, to sustain, sustain success, basically, mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And it's worked out for them. They're, they're, um, they've made the playoffs. They've been relevant. They're going to be good again this year. Mm-hmm. Um, you see it with the Dodgers. So I was just curious, I mean, cause it's so hard to have a consistent winning team when you have so much money tied down yeah. to two or three players. Yeah. You know, I'm just curious, do you think that they could actually stay, um, a contender for 14 years? I don't, I, I honestly don't know. Um, it's kind of, like I said before, like you've only seen this type of success. And I, I honestly kind of, I, the Braves and the, the Cardinals are two of those teams that they sort of fly under the radar where they're just so continuously solid all the time. And I mean, the Braves really only had like a couple years in the past couple of decades where they yeah. haven't been super relevant but even then yeah they're always in the mix but um i i honestly don't i don't i don't see it's hard to to say that like oh this team's going to be good for 14 years any really like it's just the big contracts in baseball they're such a toss up and it's like you said it's just when you've yet to see one of them really pan out um, and the years are just getting, they're, they're just getting longer. 10 year deals used to be like, un- this is unbelievable. Yeah. Um, when the first one was signed, but I guess. Well, to, and, and to clarify, when we say pan out, obviously Mike Trout's had a lot of success as an individual yeah. player. Right. We mean as a player and an organization, yeah. both having success. Yeah, exactly. Um, it, it, yeah, I agree. It's just tough when you've got, you make the point about Blake Snell, you Darvish, if you want, if you're serious about keeping these guys, unless you're like, unless you're just like, okay, we're going for it in these next five years. Like this is, this is what we're going to do. We're going to go for it in these next five years. That's one thing, but then you, but it sort of sends a different message when you then lock up Tatis and you know, now you got to, you're paying him for the next 14 years. It's going to be 20, four million dollars a year ish if that i think that's how it works out um i don't know i well, guess and I'm, plus plus with covid in this past season with revenue mm-hmm. kind of being yeah not really sure where it's at right now um it's just kind of it was weird timing i thought in yeah. general or kind of surprising i agree also i i was listening to harold reynolds today and he was talking about how the chargers moving out is a big deal for the Padres in terms of they think they can capture more revenue hmm. from um, being yeah. the only team in San Diego, which is a good point, but it's still risky in my opinion, just because you haven't seen it yet. Like in terms of um, 
Yeah. Just like how many how many more fans you're going to get from I get, the Chargers yeah, leaving. The thing that I'll say to to that to what Harold Reynolds said because I I I think I heard that too and I I don't disagree with the fact that it it'll make them the focus necessarily but first of all baseball and football fans are all baseball and football is basically different seasons. That's one thing. And two, I've been, I've been to a lot of, I've been fortunate enough to go to a lot of Padres games. Actually. Um, I've been to a handful of Padres games and I went, I was going to Padres games when um, kind of like I've been, I went to Padres games before they signed Will Myers. I went to Padres games when he was their big guy, when um, Andrew Kashner was their ace. Like I was going to games then. And that stadium, I will tell you, was always packed. Didn't matter who they were playing. I've seen them play. uh, The the stadium was obviously going to be packed when I've seen them play the Dodgers. So obviously got people from LA are going to come watch the Dodgers. So that's a given. I've seen him play the Giants. So obviously people are going to come. I've seen him play St. Louis. I've seen him play Atlanta in San Diego. Um, and that stadium, people from San Diego love their baseball. Yeah. And they well, will go. They don't care how bad the Padres are. If you watch MLB Network at like 10 o'clock on a Wednesday night in July and they're playing, they're showing a Padres game, the, there's, the place is always packed. You're right. And I mean, it makes sense. It's gorgeous out there. It's always yep. nice. Um, it's beautiful. 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 Yeah. yeah. Gorgeous beautiful. stadium. It's definitely a bucket list stadium. If you're, um, if you're, you're a fan. baseball but, fan. Um, yeah. you, that's a really good point because it's, you know, even cause they really haven't been relevant before last year and they yeah. always had a decent amount of fans. So the, it's yeah. a good point, you know, we'll see. It's, it's the thing about, I think the, the thing that makes it confusing is it, it's, they're not like the Padres are not like the Yankees where you're necessarily, you can go to, I mean, like with the Yankees, you could go to Atlanta and you're going to, you probably meet a hundred Yankee fans walking down the street. You know, you're not I mean? going to meet Padres fans in exactly. anywhere else. Really? Exactly. But when, but in San Diego, they're Padres fans in San Diego, San Diego. And they, you know, and they, um, they let it be known because those games and I'm and I, like on another thing, like you'd think, you know, generally you go to a team's game that, you know, they're not necessarily very good. And you, you know, you're like, Oh, let's get a shitty seat or something, pay 10, 12 bucks. I mean, nope. You're paying at least $50 for a ticket in San yeah. Diego. It's no joke. Well, and that's not like, I want them to have su- sustained success because mm-hmm. it would be fantastic to watch playoff baseball in San Diego. Oh yeah. How nice the weather is and their fans. Yep. I, I really want to see that. And it would yeah. be, you know, I, I want to see them battle the Dodgers for the next 10 or so years, because I think in general will be good for the game mm-hmm. just from, you know, cause like when you, when you turn on a, a playoff game, yeah, you know, most places, if it's in New York or Minnesota, it's going to be a little colder, mm-hmm. you know, whatever. But if you watch a playoff game in San Diego and they're playing the Dodgers or somebody and it's beautiful yeah. out, it, it's, it's just, it's, for me, at least, I would rather watch that. So I'm yeah. hoping that things work out for the Padres and they stay relevant for a while. Yeah, and I'm not – and this is by – no like me being a little skeptical about this, by no means do I hope that this deal doesn't work out. I hope to God that Tatis, you know, is in San Diego for 14 years and they enjoy sustained success much like the Dodgers. Um, I, I really hope it happens because it's good for baseball. Um, I guess the way to finish off this kind of segment would be – 
with a question. Do you think that he stays in San Diego for all 14 of these years? Cause he's only going to be 34 by the time this deals up. So what do you think? Well, we've never, we haven't really seen a player at his age, get this kind of contract. Yeah. So I'm not really sure. I find it hard to believe that it's a yes, just because we haven't seen it yet. Yeah. But he's such a good player. And even if they go through a rebuild, he's the type of player that you can market to fans and they'll still yeah. come watch just because he's there. So I'm going to go with yes mm-hmm. um, because of how young he is. But yeah. I'm not going to be surprised if in year eight he gets traded at That's all. That's a good point. Well, because and that's the funny thing about this deal is, say in five years the Padres have gone from, you know, being a World Series favorite every year to now they're like looking at the Cubs where they're going maybe are looking at going through a rebuild. Tatis is only going to be twenty seven, twenty eight years old. He's going to still be stuck in the middle of his prime. Um, so, you know, I guess in that sense, like you could have, like you said, have him to market through if you have to go through a second rebuild. Um, but, you know, hopefully that's not the case and hopefully it works out. Um, yeah, that, I mean, that deal was just the, it was kind of the larger, it, it kind of brought up an, another interesting point, And this is just in the sports world. I'm forgetting who tweeted this. I think it was Jeff Passan, but um, tweeted that contract. And just said, uh, said like, teach your kids to play baseball. And, yeah, it was and teach I your was, kids to hit home runs. Yeah, right, exactly. Um, and then uh, I forget who it was. Someone else tweeted and was like, yeah, his AAV is the same as, I think it was like Buddy Heald and Lamarcus Aldridge, who are like, you know, they're, NBA, they're good NBA yeah. players, but it's just like they're in the middle of the pack. Yeah, they're not the face of the NBA. Right. Exactly. So this is like, this is not necessarily a baseball question, but what do you think? Do you think that, um, because obviously we're looking at a time, I mean, this does come back to baseball, but MLB is looking for ways to grow the game. They're looking for ways to get kids to want to play baseball. And I wonder, do you like, what do you think? Do you think if you've got, all right, so you can, this is going to sound weird, but you can, your kid can be a super, you're like, all right, I'm going to make you a superstar at this one sport. Um, you picking, you picking baseball, or are you going to give them freak athletic ability to go and be able to make that money in basketball? What do you think? Obviously well, for me, I want my kid to be a baseball player. Cause I love baseball. Yeah. But you know, I see, I love both sports. Um, I played basketball in high school as well. Yeah. So I see both sides. Um, I'm going to say baseball just because I, I love baseball. I love going to the major league games. I think it would be awesome to have a son play in the big leagues. Um, obviously I wouldn't really care if whatever (laughs) sport, you know, if my son is playing professionally, that's awesome. Doesn't matter where, what sport, but I'm going to go with baseball just because I think it's the best game in the world. And, um, it'd be very cool to see. And I mean, like we act like, you know, you bring up the point. Buddy Heald is making the same per year as Tatis. They still get paid. Like he, they're still making a lot of money. Yeah. So it's not like they're struggling either. No, 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 no. At all. Yeah. But yeah. And I'm I think go the, baseball. the funny thing that you've, uh, that I was, uh, I heard today, when you talk about guys being able to sustain a career and make money over a, like a long portion of your career, 
baseball is for sure the way to go for sure. Yep. Because if you're a left, you know, say you're a lefty who can come in and blow a hundred, you're going to get a seven year deal yeah. or you're going to get seven, eight, you know, what we're seeing seven, eight, nine year deals. And you think about someone like Calvin Johnson, who's going to about, who's an, an NFL hall of famer now. And I saw the comparison. It was, uh, it was Jeff Samarja. Who's a good big league pitcher. Jeff Samarja has dwarfed the amount of money that Calvin Johnson has made in his career. It's just a different sport. You know what I mean? Well, and Samarja played football in Notre Dame too. So yeah, right. He knows. Absolutely. He knows. Um, Yeah. So it's a, it's an interesting time to uh, it's kind of that weird sort of middle ground in baseball where in, in the MLB where nothing really is happening. Um, but everybody's starting to show up now, starting to see these guys in, in new uniforms, which is cool. Lindor gave his fur, uh, gave a presser today for the Mets and we could stem off of this, but he had some really, really interesting things to say about, I happened to tune in at this part when he was talking about, um, uh, analytics and someone asked him about his thoughts on analytics and the more analytical side of the game. And he, he said it in such a simple way where I was like, this is such a, like, it makes sense that this is how a big leaguer would feel. And he kind of just said, analytics are great for preparation, but when they begin to control the game and control how I play that see the alarm doesn't like analytics either. That was what that was. Um, when they begin to control the game and control like how I play, that's when they become bad. And I was like, that makes so much sense. You know what I mean? No, I, I totally agree. I think a lot of players would agree with that. Um, yeah. I, I've heard just, especially from hitters in general, they take the information given to them before the game. But when you step in the box, you know, it's, you're just competing really. Yeah, right. It's obviously, it's good to know what a guy's, you know, the chance of him throwing a fastball in a certain count is, mm-hmm. but I don't think you can be playing the game of baseball, especially and be thinking about um, the numbers while yeah. playing. I think you just got to go out there and, and play really. Um, yeah. I, yeah. And I think a lot of the stuff. It's a balance. Had, yeah, it is. And I think that it's one of the things that stood out to me was, you know, he said, you know, say you got a lefty hitter and you know, you're seeing, you see a lot in baseball where you'll have guys, uh, you know, you'll have platoon outfielders where this guy, he, you know, he's a lefty. So we're going to sit him against the left-handed pitcher, but Lindor's like, well, some le- like all pitchers are different. And just cause he's a lefty pitcher doesn't mean that automatically myself as a left-handed hitter, I can't hit him or that it's like, like sometimes you see a lefty hitter, a pitcher better than you see a right-handed pitcher. And, and he said, it shouldn't be like, like, I guess that part of it shouldn't be left up to the numbers. Like this is, and he said at the end, he talked about the shift a lot too. Um, How they shift certain guys where they really shouldn't kind of eye testing. He sort of, I mean, he talked about pitchers too. Like, you know, like you shift like this when you've got a right-handed pitcher, it's like, but when you have someone like, say you've got someone like Bieber or DeGrom who they're both amazing, but you shift differently with, you would shift differently with, like Bieber or DeGrom, then you would, or you'd shift differently for both pitchers. And, and that's like, and that's stuff that the players know, 
you know, sure you could say yeah. like Degrom gives up a certain percentage of ground balls to this area of the infield or whatever it is. But he's one of the things that another thing that stood out to me that he said was, um, he goes, I want to. He's like, I want to die by my own mistakes, really, in the field, because um, he said I'm going to be much angrier if a ball is just out of reach for me when I'm in the shift rather than if I'm, you know, if there's a ground ball up the middle and I'm playing the regular shortstop position and I, and I dive and just miss it, then I wasn't quick enough to get there, you know, and and it makes a lot of sense when you think about it that way. Yeah. I think he's, what he's talking about is the numbers are great, but we also need to have the eye test and, Guy and managers who who just know the game of baseball and know that yes, maybe this guy only hits 200 against lefties as a left-handed hitter, but he just has a gut feeling that he'll see the ball better off of this particular lefty coming in the game. Mm-hmm. And I totally understand what Lindor's saying in terms of shifting. If I was a pitcher in the big leagues, the major leagues, and I give up a base hit up the middle, yeah, and Lindor's playing regular shortstop. That's it's a guy got a base hit. No big yeah. deal. But if Lindor is shifting and they hit a ground ball to shortstop and it's a base hit, that's going to tick me off mm-hmm. because that was me making a good pitch, getting the guy out. And now we're getting in our own way. Yeah. And I get the other argument. Well, the shift, you know, it helps you. It, it gives you more, you know, um, it gets more outs for you. Right. I totally get that. But just, as a, as a baseball player and a fan, I, I think it's incredibly frustrating when somebody hits a ground ball to shortstop and there's nobody there. I think the frust now I'll play devil's advocate for a minute here. I, I agree. And I think that sometimes the shift is, it's a bit obnoxious when you've got four infielders, excuse me, on one side of the infield, it looks funny, it, but to play devil's advocate, part of the reason why the shift can be so annoying is because you really only notice it when it doesn't work. Oh yeah. You know what I mean? Like so many times you'll see a guy and it's just how many, like how many times do you hear the announcer and rolls one over right into the shift? So many times you hear that more than, Oh, he beat the shift, which is, which is, I think that's a larger problem. Why aren't more guys trying to beat the shift? Like a guy like Jeff McNeil who just can put bat to ball DJ LeMayu you got to think that they play, you know, they play those guys. They play straight straight up. Up. Why aren't more P and this is what we've been talking about where the fact that baseball is a three outcome sport walks, home runs, strikeouts guys are just like, well, I'm going to just hit the ball over the shift. That's the only way I'm getting through this. It's like, you are a professional hitter. You know what I Supposed mean? To be at least exactly. Right. Um, so it's kind of, there's different levels of it where you say like, yeah, the shift is it's obnoxious. And I could see how as a defender, Lindor would be frustrated with certain things. Um, and he said it too. He's like, I'm a hitter. I hate the shift. It's annoying sometimes. Um, so he knows and he knows it works, you know, sometimes and most of the time. But it's also it it goes both ways because hitters aren't doing anything to try and if you're annoyed about it, lay down a bunt until they play you straight up or, you know, try and slash. I know it's not sexy, but, you know, yeah. oh, I hear you. I think that two things. I think within the next five years or so, 10 years, mm-hmm. baseball is going to go out and look for guys that hit the ball all over the field and can yeah. beat the shift. I think that's the next generation of hitters 
because you see all the time in baseball, the extremes, they shift back and forth. Yeah. Um, also, a perfect example of the shift working was the Rays this year in the playoffs. They beat the Astros. I well, There was many factors for them winning the series, but a big one was how effectively they shifted. In the yeah. first three games that they won, it seemed like every night Houston was just roping balls right at them. It'd be, you know, up the middle where they were shifting them. It seemed like every time Houston squared the ball up, there was a raised defender right there. Yeah. So it, it, you know, it makes sense. I understand why teams use it. I'm, I'm on the side of it's frustrating to watch professional hitters, not be able to make adjustments and beat it. Yeah. Right. I think that's the best way to, that's the best way to look at it for sure is yeah. Like you said, just these are professional hitters and they can't, can't hit a, you know, some, and sometimes it's, it's literally just hit a ground ball to shortstop and you got a base hit. Right. And they swing out of their shoes to try and hit a home run, which yeah. is what they're told to do, but you know, still. Right. And I think a lot, it's interesting because I go back to, it was like the, 2015, I think was when this was, and this was kind of when I, I was realizing that, wow, the mindset in baseball at all levels is really changing. And I think it was when, to me, it was when Josh Donaldson gave that MLB network interview where he was in studio with Mark DeRosa and they talked about, and, and Josh Donaldson literally said word for word, he's like, you young, like he said, what do you, he said, if DeRosa said, if you got one thing to say to the, the young kids out there, what do you say? And he said, if your coach tells you to get on top of the ball, tell them no. And he said, cause these ground balls, they like, don't get paid that you're not paid balls. for ground balls. You get paid for doubles and you get paid for homers, which yeah, it's true. But I think that like, it almost seems like that was taken to such an extreme. I know. I totally agree. Um, I, I remember seeing that and being like, Oh, that's gonna, that's gonna cause some, uh, yeah. some changes. I even remember my high school coach bringing it up and, and saying, you know, great. It works for him, but we're yes. going to still, you yep. know, we're not changing how we do things. Yeah. Um, yeah. But I, you exactly know, I the same thing my coach said. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. I am sure it happened all over the country, but yeah. um, it, it's just a mindset that they have in the big leagues. Now I think and yeah. it's from the analytics of they want guys hitting home runs, driving mm-hmm. the ball, driving in runs. They don't really care about strikeouts anymore. So it's more, I don't, it's half, I'm going to say it's half on the players and it's half on the front offices and the analytics side. Cause they're also telling them that it's okay. Yeah. The average right. doesn't really matter anymore. Right. Yeah. It, it, it is true. It's, you got to say it goes both ways. Um, and I, and I think to, to your point about the next wave of, of hitters coming through being, um, kind of more contact guys. I think that that's, um, that's an interesting theory. I don't know. I, I just don't. Unless, I hope so. It depends on what happens with this new, I think it depends on what happens with this new kind of deadening the ball experiment, if that's how it's going to be. Um, you know, I'm not like, we need more hitters like Juan Soto guys like that. I mean, because he's a guy who he's going to hit your home runs and he's going to walk, but he like, which is what you like, but he's also, he has an, and he's a freak of nature. So he's kind of, it's kind of unfair to, to say that. Well, yeah. That's why he's, he's a top an, player. Right. Exactly. He's got an incredible eye at the plate and he's very, like very smart. And, 
Yeah, just, I mean, obviously you want more guys. That's kind of a stupid thing to say, the more that I think about it. Obviously, you want more guys like Juan Soto in the game, but I guess yeah. just what I'm trying to say is less guys that are going to just strike out all the time. You want, you want more guys like Jeff McNeil. Yeah, oh yeah. You're going to, you know, contact. Yeah, him. no, I mean, it's it's good to have a, it's good to have a mix of guys like, um, mm-hmm. you know, guys like Nelson Cruz and Jorge Soler, guys who are like, you know, when you make a mistake to these guys, it's going to be a home run. And that's, it's good to have people like that in the game. But when, like, when that's the focus, it, it becomes, yeah, it's a problem. And it, and it's like we said, it contributes to the, the three outcome sport walks, hit walks, home runs and, and strikeouts. And, you know, that's the bigger problem in baseball really. And I think baseball, I think there's three things baseball can do. They can either eliminate the shift. Mm -hmm. They can deaden the ball, which is what they're trying to do. Or they can just move the mound back and try and help out with the um, velocity. Mm Because I think the guys, the stuff that guys have nowadays is unreal. Personally, I don't want to see that happen. I don't want to see the mound move back, but it's an option. It's an interesting Um, theory because it could do two things. Like obviously the velocity is going to go, it's going to help with that. But you think about it, you give a guy an extra, you know, guy like Seth Lugo or Adam Adovino an extra two feet on their breaking pitches it's going to That's be a little point. bit nastier. So it, yeah. it could sort of even out a little bit if you think about it. Um, oh, that's a good point. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I don't know because I don't hit big league pitching, but, yeah. you know, uh, yeah. it's an interesting Either way, part. it's going to be nasty. Whatever, you know, they're big leaguers. It, they're all going to be gross. So, right. you know, yeah, we, I can't, we can't solve that problem for the hitters. But yeah, let's let's finish up the episode on a fun topic. This is fun for me, for sure. And I think it's just it's a, it's a fun thing for baseball fans to watch. Um, Trevor Bauer has always been vocal on Twitter. Noah Syndergaard has always been vocal on Twitter. Now, when those two sides collide, it's a nice little storm. Shit happens. Yeah, yeah. So obviously, for the for those of you that follow baseball, you know what's going on. Um, I, I I won't read the tweets word for word, but basically. Um, the Mets posted a picture of uh, it was Syndergaard and Gazelman, another pitcher laughing at, at camp and just, you know, all smiles. And then Syndergaard quotes the tweet and he says, uh, he goes, and then he said, or something like, and then he said he was going to go to another team, but he'll donate to our charities. And uh, Trevor Bauer fired back just saying like, I made a mistake, blah, blah, blah. And then, put something out about Syndergaard commenting on fans pictures, like kind of being a bit of a dick, but that's who Syndergaard is. And to, to Trevor Bauer, that's who he is too. Bauer, yeah. So I, I thought it was hilarious. And all it does is add more when the Dodgers come to city field in August. Oh my Lord. I, I pray that that stadium can be packed or oh my close God. to it. Cause that atmosphere would be electric. Yeah. Um, but when you texted me this, yeah. I loved it. I responded <laughs> immediately with, I hope the Mets and Dodgers play each other in the playoffs this year. Oh, my in God. Series. Yeah. That would be must-watch TV. Um, but it was awesome. I love that kind of stuff. You know, it's great. It shows the players' personalities a little yeah. bit. And it, it's just fun. You know, it's fun in games. But it, it was awesome to see that. Yeah, absolutely. And, I, you know, and it's all. I think it's all in good fun. And, yeah. and, you know, people are like, oh, so-and-so won the – Syndergaard won the battle. Bauer won the battle. It's good for baseball. It's good I for think. baseball. It's just, you know, yeah. why not? And what else are you going to – you know, what else are we going to talk about? Or, 
you know, yes, it's great to see spring training, but it's, it's fun to have little stuff like this happen so that when they face each other in the regular season, you know, it adds a little bit to the game. Right. Yeah, exactly. I think that this is what stuff like this is what, if you're going to try and if you're trying to grow the game, this is how you do it. Yeah. It's a fun way to do it. It's just like, obviously and, you don't and want, I think, I think major league baseball needs to stop holding Trevor Bauer back and just yeah. let him do whatever he wants. Cause on his blog, yeah. he talks a little bit about how like they don't let him wear certain cleats or <laughs> say they find him when he says stuff, certain things, just let him be him. Yeah. And things like this will happen. And now yeah. imagine Syndergaard and Bauer face each other in, in August at City Field. That game would be much watch TV. Like it would be yeah. as soon as the game's on, everybody's watching it. Be yeah. awesome. Mm-hmm. Agreed. And I, and like to your point about Bauer, um, everybody's going to have their own thoughts on whether or not you think he's obnoxious in certain instances or um, – you know, if you think he maybe goes a little bit too far and, and and tries to do a little bit too much in his effort to be the face of baseball in, ter- in terms of social media. But it's like you said, just cut him loose because with anybody, anybody's going to have people that don't like them. So all he's doing, just let him be him. If guys who play against him don't like him, if guys on the team don't like him, then, you know, you take care of that internally. But fuck it, let him play. Like, let him do what he wants. It, 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 you know, it, sure. it creates like these rivalries are what baseball needs. Really. I don't think major league baseball and Rob Manfred understand that the fans and the younger generation loves this stuff. Yes. We love it. Yeah. It, it adds spice to the game. Nobody, if they get along, they're great friends. That's great for them, but nobody cares. We love seeing the drama and each other, you know, players going at each other. It's great. Oh, it's awesome. Just because the, at the, at the core of baseball, the game of baseball, it's a like it's a battle. Like pitcher and uh, my dad said this to me. We went to a Yankees game. Um, it was a Yankees Mets game, and at Yankee Stadium, it you know obviously Yankee Stadium is full all the time, and it was just really one of the. My dad pointed this out to me, and it was the first time I really I was younger. Um, it was the first time I really noticed like the, the pitcher and the batter, like this was a, like a battle. Like these were two men going, like, it wasn't like, you know, there wasn't anything like, I'm going to, I'm going to kill you or whatever like that. Like it wasn't that kind of battle, but it was like, it was like, I am like, I'm the man you are the, like, I'm alpha, you're beta. Basically that was the, and it was just like the game within the game that's going on all the time is so fascinating. And then when you add stuff like this to it, it just gets even better because baseball, you're already when you're playing in any sport, but you're already emotional emotional enough as it is. And then when you add some, some drama, it just gets better. Well, and, and I just thought of this. I, my favorite Noah Syndergaard moment was game three of the 2015 oh, World Series. Like, yeah. First pitch to the back, she got a hundred and then a nasty slider for a strike. Uh, stuff like that is just, it's awesome. I can't I even, it. I've never really loved an athlete more in the moment than I did. To, and then to, to, right, like you said, followed it up with a hook. Nasty. Same pitch 
and then blew 99 right pat nobody could get a fastball past escobar that entire postseason let alone the series yeah and he finally did it that was like that was a moment for me i would watch that game before i pitched in like games following that in my yeah. high school career and, and, right, and yeah. college and stuff like that. That's what I would watch because that fires you up. It's awesome. For sure. Oh, and it's just, it's great TV. It's awesome. Yeah. Yeah, yeah for sure. It's great. So yeah, like we said, not a whole lot going on in the MLB, but there's just some, you know, when you get to this point right before games and, and everything like that, it's some of these little things that, that definitely stand out to you a little bit more. Um, so yeah, that'll do it for us in in this our fifth episode of Infield Dirt. Um, thank you so much, everybody that tuned in to listen, and um, we'll be sure to hopefully when spring training games get going, we can you know be able to watch those. Hopefully there are no blackouts, MLB TV, and uh, yeah, we'll look forward to talking about that soon.